0: Citizen reporter number 378, 12th of May, 2011. The managing editor, who on most papers coordinates all activities of news gathering, sends certain reporters out on important assignments. Amid the turmoil and confusion, the reporter must be able to think clearly and quickly. And he must get his facts accurately.
1: They'll continue. You're trying to stop the information. look, will you please remove this? You man see, from that's what wrong. You, you can't sir. stop the information it's because the information keeps the 10 10 country strong. M. You
0: need the deviant. Don't shut him up. You need that madman to stand up, and tell you when you're blowing it. So the inspiration of me getting in touch with you, first of all, uh, everyone, welcome to the podcast. Uh, we're talking today with David Gausmacher of, among other projects, Tech Travels. Uh, good afternoon. Good afternoon. So that I was saying the reason uh, I went looking for you was because I'm getting into this topic of how our electronics, and it could be mobile phones, but other gadgets that we all seem to have, especially the mobile phone, being the most dominant in the world how they first of all how they get to us interests me how they're made and i'm not just talking about the factory i'm talking about right down to the the mines and the people who are mining and then also the the afterlife after they some of us have them in a drawer but then eventually they may go somewhere else they may okay into a trash can but also maybe into the hands of a uh, a garage sale a secondhand shop and then onwards and I guess at some point you also became interested in, in how this works because you went looking for where our electronics are ending up.
1: Uh, yeah, uh, pretty much it. I, I was, uh, I'm, I'm a designer uh, artist and um, I work a lot of w- with electronics. And at some point uh, I worked with my friend uh, Tim Olden uh, under the name Blended. At some point we were making uh, installations which required a, a lot of our own uh, electronics. Um, and we always were kind of interested in that hardware side. So we, we like these, uh, these markets where, where this stuff uh, is sold. But when you start making your own electronics at any scale, you also start realizing that you're creating a garbage pile of, you know, five years into the future, maybe 10 years into the future, 50 years into the future, if you're lucky, hmm. but you're still creating that, that garbage pile. So, um, with that realization, uh, came a kind of a deeper interest in uh, that that life cycle uh, of of these things you 're creating uh, i I was already traveling quite a bit uh, through uh, uh, blended for expositions and and stuff like that, so I had an opportunity to look in different countries at uh, what happens around electronics mm-hmm. and um, obviously it's you know it's very picturesque to see these weird markets where people are soldering stuff in in uh, like strange basements in in bangkok and and uh, you know the the iconography that that uh, goes with it uh, and um, I started collecting this stuff and and the more I got in, involved into creating this stuff myself the the, the deeper my uh, my interest in these uh, unintended ecosystems uh, became
0: mm. uh, at what first of all how did you begin then you you were traveling you mentioned um was it someone who gave you a, a tip as to where to go uh i mean among the places you've gone is of course china China's is a, mm-hmm. a more famous one the people who do know a little bit about you, you hear it sometimes oh our old computers end up in china people say that much about it but they don't know much more uh is that where you started looking or where did you start
1: uh, well, for for me, um, the the first moment where I really sort of picked up this this uh, project um, was in Indonesia, where I saw uh, kids uh, playing in these ar- uh, PlayStation arcades. Uh, basically, uh, these PlayStations uh, are, are too expensive for Indonesian uh, families to buy for for their kids. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, of course, they still want you know the fun of, of playing these games. and there's uh, clever entrepreneurs who buy a few machines, uh, some old TVs, rent a little room and for 25 cents a pop, uh, you know, for an hour or two, these kids get to play. Mm -hmm. And what really fascinated me, uh, you know, sort of my interaction design side, really is fascinated how these machines actually have have, uh, uh, added functionality in this uh, context. Uh, The kids are, you know, still hanging out with other kids rather than, how we you know tend to play by ourselves in front of our TV they get to meet other kids they meet their friends and new kids they're away from their parents mm-hmm. you know so uh, because these machines are now placed in a new uh, socio-economic context they actually there's an improvement through the model that it's actually designed for mm-hmm. so um, i saw this and i was quite taken by it right away so i took some photos of that and um, then when I was in uh, Thailand, uh, not too much uh, later, I thought, well, maybe there's places like this uh, here as well. And I was there to um, to give a talk uh, uh, for a group of people and there was a, a local artist there. And I asked him, uh, I showed him these pictures and I said, hey, do you have anything interesting uh, like that here in Bangkok? And um, he took us um, uh, to this uh, electronics uh, market. And I found uh, yeah, this this iron bridge market at one point where where uh, it's basically just dedicated to game consoles and there's it has this really cyberpunk esque uh, quality you know it's uh, William Gibson was writing about this stuff uh, in the 80s and, and there was seeing it in front of my eyes these, mm. these places kind of pop up in the middle of cities uh, because you know they have some kind of uh, economic viability mm-hmm. uh, but uh, because these cities are all divided up already with different districts uh, you know the gun districts and the fruit district and the um, these, these places tend to uh, um, sort of grow in the middle of that you know, they're quite central because they, they do have money to afford a, a shop and um, you know, they get, end up in really impossible places like the one in Bangkok is actually built over a canal and um, you feel like you're in the middle of a really old spaceship or something, mm-hmm. because it's just metal floor, metal ceiling, and all the cabling running everywhere. So the architecture of these places, you know, really uh, speaks to me as well. When you when you see this, uh, um, you know, just pop up in a, grow in the middle of a city. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I'm I'm fascinated uh, by that and as well. And so when you have one or two examples of this, whenever I, I now go to a place, so. When I went to Brazil, I asked, um, I had some photos to show to the people there and, look, and, and tell the the people who are fixing stuff in uh, Sao Paulo, like, hey, look, this is how they do it in Bangkok, and then they show you to other places, and, you know, once you have a bit of information there and you can talk to them as a maker, you, you, you find more and more interesting spots.
0: So I had thought, but now I think again, as I listen to you, I had thought that it's some parts of the world, some cities in the world, you'll find the specialists in this particular type of refurbishing, Or, uh, but what you're telling me is actually it's more of a city thing, that there are cities, and you know, as cities are divided into different districts, be it Rio, be it Bangkok, there's the, the part of the city where people are uh, messing with technology, reusing, or, or selling, just plain selling. Um, so it's more about cities, not so much about different parts of the
1: world. Um, well, to me, it 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 really has to do of, uh, with a bunch of uh, local conditions. Uh, the local conditions in in Brazil are different because there's uh, sort of these import restrictions. Uh, the the conditions in, in Indonesia are, are different than those in China, where people have you know a, a different skill set. But um, I think it it's definitely it's a local phenomenon in okay. in the first place, and I think that's what's interesting to me. Um, uh, the, these, uh, these places develop locally because there's a, a financial uh, a need for them. You know, labor cost is, is low, mm-hmm. so uh, people, uh, you know, and the, the cost of a device is relatively high, mm-hmm. so they are more likely to fix it than we are here. Yeah. Uh, and be, in, in that uh, environment, uh, you, you get um, people who think like, hey, uh, that the, the keyboard on, on that phone is broken, and there's a a broken phone with a fine keyboard. You know, I, I I I can probably do that. You know, and you. I think we have tinkerers in in every country. You know, it's just a sort of a subset of us people. We you know, yeah. there's people who like to tinker, and in places like that, um, uh, for a lot of people, it's just a an, a simple business to think like, hey, I, you know, I've been taking phones apart for for a while now, or or if things apart for a while. Why don't I give my mom's phone a try to fix it, and yeah. and then they they end up being able to do it and they can make a bit of money and, you know, fixing electronics um, obviously is something we used to do everywhere. Mm-hmm. And, um, uh, well, you know, there it's just grown differently than, than it has here. Here it's kind of disappeared now.
0: One of the impressive things that uh, you can read about on your, on your site is how far, uh, in some cases, these electronics are broken down. I'm thinking of the of phones, what I think were phones, because you have photos of the circuit boards, and I think even, at some point, it looks like pieces taken from the circuit boards in little piles, right down to the minerals.
1: Yes. Um, well, not so much the minerals as the components. Okay. Um, yeah, I, well, so when I had a few of these examples on, on my travel, I decided to go to China to really, you know, see if if I could just dedicate a trip to, to finding these kind of uh, examples. And uh, I went to Shenzhen, uh, which is... The, the center of many of the electronics uh, uh, manufacturing in, in the world. Uh, the iPad is, is made in that area and a lot of, you know, just the electronic stuff we, we carry around every day. And um, wh- what I found there is, is, is in, the, in the side, uh, you know, angle, in, in the corner of the electronics district, uh, there is these uh, two buildings that specialize in, in taking apart old phones. Mm-hmm. And uh, they do so, uh, you know, very different than we do here. Because uh, in in Europe, um, when we recycle our phones, we focus on these minerals, right? We focus on the metals. We, we grind these phones to a powder. Mm-hmm. And then we, uh, with uh, chemical processes, uh, pull uh-huh. the metals uh, back out. But um, if you know that in the new iPhone, for example, there's 150 euros worth of components... Um, it's kind of wasteful to just grind that down for a, a few uh, bucks of, of uh, um, metals. So what they do there is they actually put them under a, a heat gun. Uh, these these uh, little motherboards and they pull these components uh, off, and then they clean these components. Uh, you know, to remove the soldering uh, of them and and. and Uh, shine them up a bit and they they test the the more expensive components and they reprogram them and they build like crazy test machines uh, out of old uh, phones so they can test different components Mm -hmm. and then they collect them in bunches and then they trade them with each other and um, they end up in this same building and those are photos I'm planning to put online pretty soon they end up making new phones out of those as well hmm. so you can people uh, you can see people who are with improvised tools are, are building phones there yeah. which is is just fascinating
0: uh, we're always given this impression the few who have heard the stories that it's the poorest of the poor who are taking apart our old electronics um, and living in terrible conditions uh, tell me a little bit about the people who were doing the, the jobs I mean were these specialists uh well okay yeah the answer to that is yes but
1: <laughs> well they're, they're not so much specialists uh they, they are specialists but they they learn from a master you know I, if i talk to these uh, uh often very optimistic young people uh, and i ask them we you know uh, how, how do you know to do this stuff uh, in this particular building where there's like 750 companies who are all in this in, in this uh well process of, of doing these little thing uh, these minute uh, tedious tasks um, it, it tends to be that uh, people come there they, they work at one of those little studios they, they learn something and then you know they'll start for themselves mm-hmm. uh, sometimes they have like some electronics trainings you know uh, they, they'll go for a year or a year and a half uh, they, they do a course somewhere uh, but a lot of the time it's, it's learning by doing yeah. um, Uh, with with the phones as well there is sort of uh, especially in the phone repair there, there are internet forums there's two main internet forums where they share this information with each other how to fix things but this process of taking these phones apart um, I guess I, I've, you know, never been play, uh, to a place uh, which has such so much raw capitalism as uh, those places in, yeah. in China.
0: I mean, this is their trade, this is their...
1: Yeah and, yeah, and, you know, it's someone uh, is doing it for a price which is a lot better than they would be getting working the rice fields at home, probably. Okay. You know, there are people coming into Shenzhen. It's, it's a crazy uh, growth town from, like, 40,000 people to... Like eight million now, I think, uh, in in 30 years. Yeah. So it's a lot of people coming from the countryside, and they take a simple job. And if they can get a job where they're like this, where they're inside and they're just working with uh, tweezers or you know, like uh, cleaning or, or sorting things, for them it's a good job. No. Um, now that the lead is being uh, removed out of the soldering, it's probably not as as dangerous as it once was. Oh, okay, That's and interesting. it still wouldn't be. Um, it still wouldn't be uh, uh, safe, probably. Like, I wouldn't want to put my face in those fumes every day, but then I wouldn't really want to walk in the Shenzhen air every day either, because it's... Okay. <laughs> uh, and um, I, I found that the working conditions there are overall pretty good. Uh, you know, people talk about uh, child labor a lot, but in, of course, in China, because of the one-child policy, uh, children are really appreciated uh, a, a lot more than uh, than people give their credit for. Mm-hmm. So um, there, I haven't really seen much. Uh, you know, of, of seen any child labor. I saw one young kid who seemed to be there because he really enjoyed, you know, yeah. doing that. But uh, um, I, it seems like there are p- people in their late teens, uh, who uh, early twenties, who start working there. They get a job and they ha- are really optimistic. They wanna they start their own electronic companies. You know, yeah. there's people who are, who kind of save up with friends and then they build a Shanghai uh, phone. You know, ba- based on the. Often Taiwanese uh, uh, plants uh, and, and uh, ch- Samsung chipset and a bunch of second-hand uh, phone parts, and they sometimes only make like two thousand or five thousand phones, which Nokia probably wouldn't make a prototype for uh, of 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 that uh, few phones. Yeah, um, and they they see themselves, you know, like hopefully will be the next Apple. You mm-hmm. know, there is really that that optimism there, and um, yeah, overall, like in Shenzhen. Which is a lot less depressing, I think, as as many other parts of of uh, China. It's uh, you know there there is definitely uh, an optimism, and these people f- feel like they have good jobs. Yeah,
0: uh, it makes me curious, and I, I don't know that you carry such information in your head, but um, in terms of what percentage of the world's phones are ending up in the hands of recyclers or whatever term you want to use, refurbishers, I I imagine it's. It's small, I'm thinking less than one third of all phones end up in these in these places
1: yeah, it's also something I'm very curious about, right, because it's- the
0: bigger question becomes, are we going to be okay as a world <laughs> if the amount of people right now or in the future as well with with more countries perhaps being able to afford it uh buying gadgets, buying phones, and then getting rid
1: of the old one after three or four years,
0: is this a system that is? Cyclical? Is it going to work like that?
1: Well, it's it's interesting, Um, like this whole sustainable uh, aspect of it, right? And I I kind of do some thinking about that. uh, um, I I don't think uh, that I don't think we necessarily uh, need to go for this Chinese model, you know, like. The the, the w- obviously the way they uh, pull their phones apart is very labo- labor intensive, and this can only be be done if we value uh, the the minerals and the components uh, t- in that ratio to what we're willing to pay people to do that work. You okay. know, if if we would pay people ten euros a day here, um, then it probably would start being worth pulling phones apart. Mm-hmm. But w- I'm not sure if we want to get there. I, I could imagine us uh, pulling phones, uh, you know, he- telling uh, the Apples and the Nokias and the, and the Motorolas to design devices to pull the phones apart into components again yeah. and then rebuild with, with those uh, components. Um, and, and to some extent, you know, that that, that would be nice. But in, in the end, um, it's going to have to come down to, to some kind of capitalism. Mm. And if it turns out that it's uh, not sustainable to mine the minerals, make phones, and then, you know, throw the phones out at the rate we're doing, then the price of these minerals are going to go up, you know, and it's not that our labor costs are going to go down that much, Mm -hmm. Uh, but if the price of these minerals are going to go up to the point that it's, uh, you know, not worthwhile to, to to sell the phones that cheap... Then you know um, I I feel that capitalism is gonna probably be a little bit on the late side, but it's it's gonna come up with a uh, some kind of solution uh, mm. then by by raising prices and stuff.
0: L- late being when the world has a problem in terms yeah of yeah well environment and what we have around us and we have piles of phones and so on yeah
1: absolutely and yeah, well, already we have a problem but. Um, the, the the phones the used phones right now they are a sort commodity mm-hmm. you know like they the 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 system does work to some extent you know mm-hmm. when i walked around there people told me yeah hey, you should bring phones from your country here you know and we'll give you like a few euros for each phone and or i
0: what are you doing with your old gadgets then
1: <laughs> no well me i'm I, i've got that drawer that everybody has in their house which with all those bundled up cables yeah, and yeah. Uh, yeah. One big nut, and I must have like five old phones there.
0: Yeah. Did, uh, did these, these experiences make you curious to do this other part that uh, I've been also learning about through other friends and, and Fairphone, which, which uh, I think I've mentioned on the podcast before? Has it made you curious about the, the before, uh, before the phone? Uh, I mean, in a way, you're talking about that before the phone, because these things could become phones again. And they do,
1: like yeah. as you, uh, while you're standing there looking, you can see these phones becoming phones again. Yeah. But yeah, like these raw material. Yeah. Uh, have so you have you pursued that? I'm um, I'm hoping to at at some point. I have to say, like my primary uh, interest is about these unintended ecosystems that uh, spring up around uh, electronics. Yeah. You know, and like. Um, the sort of the pre electronic uh, stage of it it's interesting to me and i and I try to read up on on that yeah. but um not the same i <laughs> no i I get very excited about these these weird things like in in the, the philippines um, i i saw, uh, this winter i saw um uh, that pawn shops advertising that we accept mobile phones you know mm-hmm. so so you know in these in these people who are living hand to mouth to some extent or you know they don't have much for them a mobile phone is a big investment but they can actually reuse that investment because it has value you know they they can decide to part with their communication for uh, a day you know uh, until they get their paycheck Mm -hmm. and then have a bit of money to go get their paycheck or whatever you know I mean there is a there is a you know like I, I think that 's a really interesting sort of angle you know and like and it 's not necessarily sustainable, and it doesn 't say oh. much about the production of these phones but it's it 's these unintended little artifacts that that happen that I find just fascinating yeah.
0: Yeah. You, through your work uh, your other work you you 've met and you must know quite a few people working on the i 'll call it the industry side, people who are involved in the design or even manufacture of phones, larger companies. Uh, is there ever interest? Have people reached out to you uh, from a, a mobile phone maker, for example, saying, uh, we'd like to do something with this, we'd like to be involved? Or do they, is there mostly a hands-off approach to this uh, phone recycling?
1: Well, I feel that there is, there, there is uh, interest uh, starting to come. Uh, I've, uh, actually, this week I was featured on the Nokia blog uh, with uh, the, the, uh, the China Post. Mm-hmm. um and I think that there there is actually a really great opportunity to collaboration uh, there and i and when I see of of what uh, um, phone companies try to do it actually goes beyond uh, greenwashing a lot of the time they are they seem to be really generally interested into into designing and creating uh, phones that make sense and that will continue to make sense
0: yeah yeah I've always looked at. As phones for example computers and i have this i don't even think it's a big conspiracy this thought that here i have a new computer it's good but it's also made so that in a few years i will want to buy another one <laughs> i often have that thought you know that the, mm-hmm. when something is manufactured companies want us back later yeah
1: but uh, but i but, you, i am not you know like i'm sure that happened with with uh, uh, the the fluorescent lights yeah. okay. and the But I feel like technology right now is being developed over uh, so many laboratories at the same time, right? There's so many companies investing in research that um, uh, creating, you know, there's a competitive market there. And uh, if you're going to create something, uh, you know, like in the the 80s and and 90s, uh, Sony... uh, and, and Philips, pretty much, they had they were so such dominant uh, players yeah. that they could create stuff and then keep stuff in the laboratory and say like we're going to release that in three years. Mm-hmm. Right now, uh, or uh, it it is very uh, difficult for a company to stay ahead of the game and and keep things and keep holding things back. You know, if 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 Apple was going to say ah, you know, we can do much better screens or we can do much better uh, uh, sound or, you know, and and they don't put it in the current model, Mm -hmm. you know, next week uh, um, an Android phone comes out and has all those things, Mm -hmm. then they really, you know, they they lag behind right away, you know, because of that competition and that that, that really wide uh, development uh, base, I feel like there's actually... uh, You know, I I don't think that we're at the moment in in that situation where we are being manipulated in that way. Mm. Mm. Of course, phones are designed because, uh, you know, to last for two, three years. But, I mean, we we carry them around all the time. I mean, it's amazing that they manage that long, as far as (laughs) I'm concerned. (laughs) And uh, most of the time, people throw phones away not because they don't uh, work anymore, but because they want a a, a more shiny new one. Mm. And if... Anything you know, like this consume uh, consumatism, uh, you know, the, it's a problem which is happening in our in our own heads. You know, it's okay. us wanting to wanting those new devices, and mm. you know, putting the blame with these companies that manipulate us. Sure, you know, there is sort of you know they they mm. do stimulate that a little bit by the way they advertise, but in the end, you know, you can stop that by just not getting that next phone. Uh, mm-hmm.
0: So it's yeah, there's a. The a lot that comes from inside us, yeah. Uh, in terms of your own work, you mentioned, of course, that, that tech travels was just something that you, you got into, but that you, before that you're working in design. Uh, are you now going to change or, or, or switch roles from observer to... Are you going to get involved in, in the world of uh, reusing or reappropriating technology?
1: Well, I, I don't know. Like, I... I'm, I'm in this project uh, or the, you know in this research because it's, it's just really fascinating to me and I feel like you know it's stuff we, you know, that should be known yeah. you know and I think it you like but to tell the story I'd like to tell the story I think the story is, it's, it's a fun story to tell and, and I think it's maybe even uh, important but uh, um, how exactly that is going to translate into uh, uh, being you know into creation I, I'm not sure yet I mean, I, I see, like, uh, different opportunities. You know, I, I think that uh, a phone company would do, you know, like... I keep coming back to Nokia, but say Nokia would do really well to to create not only the phone, but uh, a website that documents how to fix it, how to... Uh-huh. You know, like, I, I think we should design for these repair uh, infrastructures because yeah. that's one thing that you see... In all these uh, developing countries now, and yeah. even the smallest islands uh, of on, on the Philippines, there's people repairing these phones and sharing information on on how to do that. And I I think that um, if you want to design well for for those uh, two thirds of the world that you know are are going to have to have their phone fixed because they can't afford a new one, I think it, it uh it should incorporate design for repair. Mm. And um, uh, you know, so so I, I I have these ideas, and I'm I'm gonna try to develop some of those ideas, or at least get them out there for. Uh, hopefully, then be part of you know of that change.
0: Yeah, yeah. yeah you're making me think. This this past weekend, I'm, I'm messing with a boat motor, and I have the instruction manual, from uh, whatever company. The instruction manual tells me how to do, maybe three things for the motor. It points to where the fuse, uh, sorry, spark plug is, and a, a few other things. The problem with my engine lies somewhere else, in a part that wasn't outlined in the instructions. If it were there, I would have studied it, I would have looked through it. Now, we do have the web, Excellent. I can look in conversations, but I wished just that the instruction manual could tell me
1: all the parts. And they didn't do that, because apparently we don't well, do that. I, I, I <laughs> In, in a way that kind of makes sense uh, for a lot of design you know i don't need to know all Everything, the parts uh, right. of, of my iphone right i don't need to know all the parts of my uh, my engine but at the same time um, now with the web we don't you know we don't need to separate that anymore we can actually have a website that is dedicated for, for you know with, wants with, uh, with that information and even with with stuff like phones you know, I, for, for all these little one-man shops in, in uh, all over the world, it would be great to have, like, a, a website where not only can they find out which component is, is wrong, mm-hmm. but they can find out uh, who in, a, in, in the shortest radius actually has that component spare. Yeah. You know, like, I could have my whole uh, uh, store or, or stock of old phones sort of uh, it, on my own little database and i can just mark which ones i want shared with with uh, you know my community mm-hmm. and then if uh, you know there can be a market price set on on you know by a system like that and if i have an old phone and that i want repaired and i need a new screen i just look who has a screen in in the vicinity right. you know and then okay yeah i can buy it there or yeah. whatever you know like we have all these new opportunities now And it's kind of counterintuitive to keep these electronics alive uh, uh, longer. But, you know, uh, like Toyota made a great name uh, for themselves by having these trucks that don't break down and are easy to fix, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, in in, in developing countries, uh, these sort of classic terrorist trucks. uh, Right, right, right. And um, I don't see, you know, or I I would imagine that creating phones uh, for that context uh, with these kind of things in mind... You could could do uh, really well as a company.
0: Mm. Well, the website for everyone is uh, Tech Travels. There'll be a link in my show notes. Uh, David Kausemacher, it's a real pleasure to to get to meet you, and we look forward to your future adventures uh, documented online for us.
1: Great, thanks. Uh, Good to be
0: here. (laughs) Some final notes on today's program. First of all, once again, a big thank you to David Kausemacher, who took the little trip into Amsterdam from his home outside of Amsterdam to meet with me and talk about this topic, which indeed, as you may notice on my site, is becoming uh, one I'm going to focus on, talking to different people in the world of electronics afterlife, and also the creation of these devices and how they have this tremendous impact on our world. Uh, This is going to be something I'll be working on in the coming uh, weeks for sure. And in the meantime, uh, besides the fact that I'd like to tell you, you can go to citizenreporter.org and you can find other podcasts. There hasn't been many video entries lately, but there will be. And of course, I'm always writing both for my own site, but also for other uh, sources, other outlets, including The Guardian. Uh, the next thing on my plate coming up very soon actually tomorrow I'm on my way to the United States uh, back to my area where I was raised and I'll be traveling between New York Philadelphia and Washington DC doing interviews with some people you've heard before and some you've never heard from Uh, so different topics perhaps a more American or America centered focus but like with so many issues in this world if you look at it you probably can think of an example wherever you are in the world because I do firmly believe and I've learned from this program that we are all connected and we all have a lot in common. So, thanks so much for listening. Uh, I'm, I see that we're fast approaching program 400, 400 episodes of this podcast. It's really hard to believe and it's kind of exciting. It's, uh, it's a lot of things at once, really, but I'm really glad especially for those of you who have been with me for all 400. But even if you've only been with me for the last 50, uh, welcome and, uh, and thanks for, for listening. And by all means, leave a comment, send an email, tweet, wherever and however you prefer to get in touch with me. I do like when you do it. That has not changed over the years. So that's it for today. See you next time. See ya.